Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Hello and welcome back to the Diapoint podcast. This is now, we are in episode two of our uh, three series discussion, three episode series discussion about the use of continuous glucose monitors and people that do not have diabetes. So you don't necessarily have to listen to one before the other, but I wanted to get a lot of opinions about this topic because the people in the diabetes community and in health and wellness world, and also in the digital world, everyone all has a different opinion about this. And it's not, you know, necessarily a question of what's right or wrong, or although there are some people with strong opinions about it, but this discussion is about understanding all sides of the story, making educated informed decisions if you're going to use one. If you don't have diabetes and you think you want to try this, you need to really understand how it works for you, what you can do with the data and what you can get out of the data. And so to better explain that, I'm very excited about the episode that we have for you today. I am speaking with Dr. Isan Al-Marzuki, and Dr. Yusuf Saeed from Glucare Clinic here based in Dubai. Um, Dr. Isan Al-Marzuki is the co-founder and managing director at Glucare Health. Glucare Health is a hybrid therapeutics company based in Dubai in the UAE. Uh, they do have a clinic here. If you're based in Dubai, you may have seen it. And he's also currently serving as chairman of the Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Golf Properties. From 2008 to 2017, he served as director and deputy head at Mubadala Healthcare and also as vice chairman of the board of directors for HealthPoint, Imperial College London Diabetes Center, the National Reference Laboratory, Tawam Molecular Imaging Center, and also the Capital Health Screening Center. He was also a board member for Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi from 2012 to 2016. Dr. Al-Mazuki earned his PhD from the University College of London, focusing on gene therapy applications. He also holds a Master of Science in Biochemical Engineering from the University College London. He has a Bachelor of Engineering in Chemical Engineering from the University of Sheffield and a Master of Business Administration from London Business School. And we are so happy that he was able to find some time to spend with us to discuss this with him was Dr. Yusuf Saeed, who you might remember from one of our episodes last season where we talked about um, Ramadan fasting and diabetes. Dr. Yusuf Saeed is a German board certified specialist in internal medicine and diabetology at Glucare. From 2013 to 2017, he served as an assistant doctor at Vincennes Paletti Hospital in Bensburg, Germany, within the Department of Internal Medicine and hemoto in oncology and gastroenterology. He later worked as an assistant physician and specialist in internal med and diabetology at St. Vincennes Hospital Cologne within the internal medicine department, and again, focusing on diabetology and endocrinology. He is a special interest in the diagnostic and treatment of diabetic foot syndrome, and he previously served as the director of internal medicine at AACSH in Dubai Healthcare City. He's a graduate from the University of Cologne Medical School in Germany. And we're just so excited to have both of them on the show to discuss this very important topic. Um, and one thing that you'll learn as you listen to the discussion that I didn't mention is also Isan Al-Marzuki is also an Olympic athlete. So he brings that side of the discussion into it, which I think is super important, also very fascinating. So let's go on with the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have on today's guest, I have Dr. Yusuf from Glucare, who you all might remember from last season when I think it was last season or maybe even the season before when we discussed fasting during Ramadan. And also from Glucare, I have Isan Al-Marzuki. He's one of the founders of Glucare and also CEO is your title of Glucare? Correct. Isan, okay, correct. Very good. 
So I wanted them to join us today to so we can continue the discussion about the use of glucose monitors in people with diabetes and people without diabetes. Because as I mentioned in the last episode, we're trying to really unpack this discussion in a scientific way, in a clinical way, in a medical way, so that we understand it. Because I know that if my son did not have diabetes, I would have no idea how to read the information on a you know glucose uh, meter or a continuous glucose monitor. From time to time, I wear a watch that measures my steps and it tracks my heart rate. But do I really know what that means? No, because I'm not a cardiologist. So um, without further ado, let's begin the discussion. So first question, Dr. Yusuf, if I can ask you clinically, who do you typically prescribe CGMs to or which kind of patient population do you suggest use a continuous glucose monitor? So in, in first line, and um, that's really important because all guidelines is now saying it, is that type 1 diabetic patients who are on insulin, they must have now a CGM. It's a guidelines because of the improvement and the management of this type of patients is through a CGM given and uh, scientific proven, yes. And we are seeing it here daily in our clinic. For type 2 diabetic patients who are on insulin treatment, they must have a CGM. Again, as per guidelines, and we are seeing that improvement. And to be honest, here at GluCare, we are using it already for our type 2 diabetic patients without any insulin. We are using it for pre-diabetic patients. We are using it for obesity patients. And we are even using it for healthy patients and sport performance patients. And... Um, if we want to take a deeper dive and say why we are using this also for this kind of patient, it's because the CGM is showing our glucose values, yes, in our body continuously. And with this data, now it, it's now we can show how a metabolism works. Yes, so how our metabolism works when we are eating, how our metabolism works when we are doing exercise. If we, how we, our metabolism works when we have different type of sleep, yes, and stress and environment, yes. So this is um, extremely useful data uh, for us to analyze the patient better and also to give the patient a better insight about themselves, right? So, of course, again, for type 1 diabetic patients or those on insulin, really to make the management, management of diabetes better and easier, right? And secondly, for the other groups to understand really their metabolism better. And with the newly re released um, an interest in continuous glucose monitors in those that don't have diabetes, or as you point out, that might be athletes needing to measure some performance, are you finding or have you seen any evidence that this has really been useful in supporting people to either it's marketed as such changing their lifestyle or maybe as a weight loss technique or, or something else. Yes, it is extremely. Yes. So if I give the example for also um, pre-diabetics or stage of before being diabetics patients or overweight patients, obesity patients, they will now understand which kind of to, uh, food is affecting them. Yes. We know that this type of patients have insulin resistance. They have higher levels of insulin in their body. And this higher levels of insulin, again, makes that they're getting more hungry, that they cannot lose weight as they need, right? Because insulin blocks their body to burn fat, right? And teaching them to avoiding uh, certain spikes in their, in their blood glucose levels or being in certain ranges is helpful, for example, to lose better weight, yes? And again, what we are doing in our clinics mostly, we are not putting patients directly on a certain diet. Yes, we are showing them first their patterns. Yes, we are telling them if you're on the CGM, start to eat everything. Yes, to just to see and understand how things are affecting you. And then you will learn this is my 100 meals. This 20 is really bad for me, but this 80 I still can eat, right? So they will find also diet forms which are really successful in long term. So there's a clear benefit that we are seeing for our patients, and there are already studies going on showing that uh, that uh, this kind of data improves the lifestyle and the behavioral change of the patients, 
and which makes the the successful success and long term better. Amazing. Okay, so those are patients. But what if, say, I don't have insulin resistance or pre-diabetes or type two diabetes or type one, and I eat fairly. I like to think I eat fairly okay. I don't eat meat. I prefer to eat plant-based because I just like it. Um, I exercise regularly about three times a week, either like a HIIT workout or when the weather is nice, I go out, I'll run five to 10K and I do a few other things as well. And I walk my dog almost every day if I don't convince my son to go out and do it. And I see like an ad pop up in social media for a device that's going to help me improve my performance, maybe, or maybe if I've got like five kilos to use and I think it might help, but I, I'm not getting this advice from my doctor. And if I went and I, I bought one, do you think, would this be useful or helpful for someone that doesn't have any insight into this world of, of diabetes and CGMs like, like you all do? or? Yes, because definitely yes, but it depends also which goals you're setting for this kind of people, right? So as I mentioned, you're learning more about your metabolism. You're learning that certain food is, even if you're healthy, affecting you more than other type of food, which can be helpful to lose the one to two kilos more, right? And also to keep the healthy lifestyle in long term, right? So to understand if this, oh, I'm seeing uh, the, the bread is making a huger spike for me than the rice, yes. And if you understand this, you can help to not get really insulin resistance in, in future, right? So getting this insight is, is in our opinion, very helpful, right? Of course, also for a certain time of period. We are not telling patients to be on a CGM their lifelong. Yes, it's over a certain period of time to really understand yes, things what are affecting you. And again, we are not looking also only on food. Yes, we are looking over sleep. We are looking over your activity. You're looking how exercise these things are affecting you, your stress, your environment, right? At the end, we are supporting you to understand this balance, right? And again, the goal settings are also important. And um, we are seeing, we are giving different type of goal settings and glucose parameters than other, some other companies are doing, yes? And in our opinion, so we are going really with the guidelines of the ADA, so the American Diabetes Association or the IDF, which is saying, for example, that for healthy people, yes, your fasting should be less than 100 and two hours after food, you should be less than 140. Yes. And it's saying try to be on the level between 140 to 100 during the day. Yes. But you have to be also then see that if you do certain type of exercise, your sugar, of course, can spike, right? Which is normal, right? So we are just telling these patients then, look, these some certain patterns are normal and it's okay to have this increase, right? But having these goals are helpful for some type of patients. Unfortunately, what we are seeing that some other people are giving tighter ranges. And mm. this can be, in my opinion, uh, going to the wrong direction. Yes, um, because setting some type, for example, goals between 70 to 110 can be difficult. Yes, because again, as I mentioned, if you're doing exercise and you're going more than 110, which is normal, does, it, does this mean now you should not do exercise? Right. So I think we should be careful really to setting the right goals um, and really making the patients more understandable to understand more their lifestyle better and don't put them too tight because there are so many examples where you can do it wrong, yes? Because then patients suddenly start to go on a keto diet to get on this range, right? And eating no carbs, you know, which is at the end for a healthy patient wrong, right? Because you need also a certain amount of, of carbs, right? Mm -hmm. So therefore, um, I think we have to be careful to setting the right goals for the patient and making them also clear, look, let's first see and understand things better for yourself. It's always personalized. You know, this is what we are saying. There are certain guidelines, as I mentioned, through the ADA or the IDF. But again, you have to understand your patient individually better. And you can do this definitely with tools like the CGM. Hmm. 
It's interesting because all the doctors and most of the clinical people I speak with, uh, as far as non-diabetics using it, have very interesting, objective answers. I expected actually more people to say no, but they all kind of say it's not a terrible idea if you're looking to see trends or learn more about your, your body. However, other people... People, some people with diabetes, particularly type one, and a lot of the advocates, some of the things that I've read are very outspoken about it. Um, as, as the parent of a child with type one, I questioned it in the beginning. Um, and, and some people, you know, have different, different feelings on it. But I think one thing might have to do with also the window and the way it's the way it's marketed and the window that they're setting, because I know myself, I've checked on occasion and I've definitely been outside this 7110 window for different reasons. Not often, but it, it can happen. Uh, Isan, what, what are your thoughts and your experience on this? What, what have you seen? So let's break it down into two kind of um, um, categories, the use of CGMs for non-insulin diabetics. So let's let's look at that. So mm -hmm. we obviously, we advocate the use of CGMs for pre-diabetics or obesity, but it has to be done in conjunction with a clinical platform. So we're always saying there's a physician who's monitoring this. It's usually done in conjunction with medications. There's a dietitian who's advising. Um, and we don't vilify carbs in this approach. This is a clinical approach and we work with the diabetics between 70 to 140. Now, that's the clinical side. That's why we do it. Um, now, when we look at the consumer side or the kind of the, the wellness or performance um, approach that we're seeing, where, I mean, this is what I've understood is that you get on these platforms and you're supposed to stay within a limit of 70 to 110. And I, I don't really get why this 110 is because I'll give you my example. As, as an athlete, I was a former athlete. I, I represented the UAE. Uh, in the Beijing games, um, you know, carbs are everything to us. Um, you know, we can't absorb or we can't take in carbs during the race or during training. We take it before and we take it after. And if I was to limit my, if, if I was to follow that 70 to 110 performance metrics and, and, and the advice was I have to stay in that range because that's optimal for me. And if I go beyond the 110, I get punished via scores. So this whole gamification of, of you know, carbs being bad, um, then I can't actually compete. No one can. You know, it's encouraged for us to get our, our, our glucose spiked um, before and after. You know, we need to replenish ourselves. We need to fuel ourselves up. And, and even during the race or during training, you know, we easily hit over 110. You know, 130, 140 is, un, is not uncommon to do. You can even go higher than that. So. If I'm looking at the performance side, and that's my, th those are my um, kind of realistic um, scenarios where I have to carb up, I, I, you know, I spike during exercise, and I usually have to refuel after, you know, intense uh, workout sessions, um, but I get punished every time I go over 110 uh, via score, then that's misleading, you know, and I, and I realize why they've done that. The reason why these companies have stuck to 70 to 110 is that if you were to, if you were a healthy person wearing a CGM, and I've worn CGMs, we've trust, tested it out in our platforms, it's quite uneventful if you're not diabetic. If you're staying between the 70 to 140 range, you're going to hit that almost 95% of the time, unless you are very, you know, you're pushing your limits in every sense. And that's with training and with a lot of carbs. So, um, if, if that was the realistic scenario for most of these companies, then you're going to get people dropping off very, very quickly. So they have to create this kind of false pretext that, you know, 110 and above is bad. Hence, you get penalized with points. And hence, what does that do? It just pushes you towards going to a carb-free or keto diet. Now, there's, there's issues with pushing, a, a, you know, someone towards there too. You know, usually, you, you, it, you know, there's a trade-off between glucose and, and probably cholesterol or lipid issues when you start going that route. So, so I, I'm not in favor of this. I'm not in favor that this limit is there. I am in favor of the use of CGMs for, for everyone to some extent, as long as it's done in the clinical platform. And if it's done on a wellness platform, then we need to make sure that the metrics that are used as 
are as per guidelines or as some kind of clinical research behind it. I'm so glad that you highlighted all of those points because I think they're super important. Like you said, if you're wearing one and using one, it's important that you have clinical experts that understand the data that can help you read the data. I've seen even some of them advertise and that they get a dietitian or nutritionist consultation. And I'm not sure what that means. And then, like you said, then if they're going to put someone on a keto diet and one, like you pointed out, I'm so glad you did because some people, when they look at keto and I say, well, you know, go talk to your doctor. But from the research that I hear everyone talk about in the healthcare world is that, yeah, the trade-off is cholesterol and a lot of other problems that that brings with it. So people, one might be not looking at the best diet, but even also not the best diet for them because they're looking at it in a silo, just based on like, here's your diet, stay in this range. And that can be super dangerous if you don't have well-rounded medical advice. And then the, this other part about the, just the, the limit, even if you're not on a keto diet and not being afraid of carbs, because as soon as everyone, it, you know, everyone should eat healthy, not just people with diabetes. And it's, it, it is kind of strange to me. And I don't know like how or why this started that suddenly if someone gets a pre-diabetes type two diabetes type type one diagnosis, whatever it is, they think they have to go to like low carb or no carb diet, but that's actually not necessary. And if they just ate healthy carbs, and even if you don't have diabetes, like that's how you should be eating. I always say like, when did it become okay that we were all like eating donuts every day? And I mean, we're not, I don't think anyone on this call is, but I'm over-exaggerating a bit, but everyone should be eating healthy carbs, kind of plant-based, if you're into meat protein, moderate protein, or whatever, whatever that looks like based on, you know, your, your recommendations. Um, but and to add to that, Pam, um, you know, so if, if, you know, if the range of if these companies are trying to limit you to 110 maximum spike of glucose, then obviously, and with the coaching, and sometimes they have dietitians on these platforms, you know, they're, they're pushing you towards the, the keto diet, then why wear a CGM in the first place? If you're going to go keto, you know, do you really need to measure your, um, uh, you know, your blood glucose spikes if you're not diabetic? Um, so, you know, and, and there are companies that have done very well on this. Verta Health, for example, it's very well known keto approach. Um, you know, we've, we've got issues with pushing people on keto diets um, because of what we see in, in, the, in the fat profile, lipid profile, but also on being sustainable. Usually keto diets are not sustainable for the majority of people, but they are for some, and that's fine. But again, why measure the glucose then? If we're pushing mm. it to that, to that level, why are we trying to move and trying to um, commercialize this aspect um, via the measuring of glucose up to 110? It makes no sense. Mm, another valid point. Save your money. It's expensive. Do you think that this new marketing of and selling these commercially to everyone, will it help or hurt people with diabetes in the sense economically? Is it going to make it more cost effective for those of us who have insurance that doesn't cover it? Look, I I don't know. I Obviously, if more people buy CGMs, hopefully the, the cost will go down for everyone. That's what you'd think. But if also the demand for CGMs continue like this, um, and there is generally CGM shortages around the world. We see this um, all the time happening. Um, and they're, if they're being consumed by, by these kind of uh, organizations who have large marketing budgets and where diabetics cannot get access to CGMs, then I don't think it actually helps I mean, whether pricing is an issue or not. Um, so I think I think there is a place for it under a clinical platform. I think that's for sure. Um, I don't think there is a place for it uh, where it's consumer only uh, and based on these kind of false pretexts of an upper limit somehow developed simply to gamify it. And the other thing that I would say is that I'm not sure about the whole business model. I mean, how long would you wear a CGM for if you're not a diabetic? I've worn it for months on end to test it out on our platforms. And again, like I said, it's pretty uneventful. You know, I know my peaks. I know I eat a lot of carbs. It's fine. And I see my 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 peaks and, and my troughs. And, you know, I've kind of fairly understood it after almost one or two weeks of wearing 
SEGM? Do I need to be wearing it in six months or three months? I don't think so. Um, I, I really don't. If, again, in, in conjunction with a clinical platform where you're giving insights and kind of this whole cause and effect and you focus on the behavior rather than the actual glucose level, then yes, there's, a, there's definitely a, a model for that. Mm. And to add also, we have to be careful that you use this really for diabetics. Yeah? So as you mentioned, for type 1s, if you put them on this range, the way the, the, the danger of getting into hypoglycemia, which is the worst scenario for type 1 diabetics, yes, is we have to avoid this scenario. So that's why we are not pushing type 1 diabetics too tight. Yes? I'm telling my patient always, and that's not really radical. Yes, I'm telling them you can die on a hypoglycemia. Yes, but you can, you will not die on a hyperglycemia, right? So avoiding the hypos is the first thing what we are trying to to solve for our type one diabetic patients, right? And this has often happened if they're too too tight. Yes, if their goals are too tight, right? So therefore, uh, using this type of platforms for type ones, for example, are very dangerous. I thought about that when I saw it. Uh, first come out. And I thought, if it seems considerably cheaper than, say, a lot of the CGMs that people with type 1 are using, because typically, unfortunately, insurance does not cover these life-saving devices that people with type 1 should wear, as far as I'm concerned, all the time the rest of their life, then they might opt for this. And then that, like you pointed out, can be super dangerous. Like my son, they have a one-mile run test today at school the beginning of the year he has PE first thing so I sent him off to school a little bit higher than I usually would I didn't give him the full bolus for breakfast why because he has such a risk that even though you know I'm like hey pace yourself the first lap and then let it out because I used to run I've run a couple of marathons not not very well but I did so at least I could say like hey pace yourself and go about it this way and maybe you'll feel better have better outcomes and all of these things but Nobody's going to send their their type one or as an adult start some kind of race on a one ten. You'll pass out by the by the end of the mile. It's it's quite frightening actually if if that would were to start happening because people want CGMs but can't afford it. And then also you sound like you pointed out in so many parts of the world. I feel like the access gap is is widening to some extent. I mean, yes, we talk about access to insulin and that's that's an issue, but also devices. And then I can't help but wonder if you're, you know, in a country where you're not so privileged and then you see, you know, maybe a famous person or somebody wearing this device that they don't even really need it necessarily. It it doesn't really help to inspire or or any any of that. Yeah. So, you know, I think this is essentially exploitation of a device that people do not know about. It's been in the diabetes world for a very long time. Suddenly it's become a popular consumer product uh, and you gamify it uh, via a nice app. I mean, some of these companies are even calling it their own CGMs. They give names for it. It's not their own CGMs. Everyone knows it's the Abbott Freestyle Libre. Everyone knows. So obviously it comes to the same box. I don't know why they do that uh, necessarily, maybe to um, provide credibility to the program. It's fine. Everyone uses these CGMs. There's only a few manufacturers around the world. Um, uh, you know, interestingly, we've spoken to the manufacturers themselves. Um, you know, the two big manufacturers, Abbott and Dexcom. Um, and, um, you know, certainly Dexcom is completely against it, um, you know, very, very clearly. Um, and Abbott knows about these issues and, you know, is observing this, but has not give, endorsed, um, you know, a lot of these companies to use it. Um, there are some legal issues that could happen because of this use. Again, if it's done in a clinical setting, you can use it off-label, that's fine. But if it's done in a consumer-only setting where there's no physician and there is some coach that tells you, that you know between 70 to 110 is is okay for you with zero testing of any nature happening before the CGM is given so there's no screening of this anyone can buy it you know then then you do you get the issues that Dr. Yusuf mentions you know your hypos can be very very dangerous uh, who's going to diagnose that person if he didn't know he had he had diabetes or he had prediabetes or is close to transitioning into diabetes they wouldn't know they're just putting a CGM and they're trying to stay within this 70 to 110 mark and they get penalized every time, you know, they exercise or they, you know, they have a protein shake with a little bit of carbs in it and it spikes up. So it makes no sense to me. 
Yeah. And another good point, because I've been out of the clinical setting for a bit, but I used to work with quality and risk management. My brain is going 100 miles an hour. Can you imagine if you had someone that maybe they were even misdiagnosed as type 2, maybe a little, I mean, overweight, and maybe they're actually type 1, and then they go try one of these devices? I mean, what a huge liability that would be. I'm I'm now actually kind of fearful, um, you know, for for think think of the upper limit. If the upper yeah. limit is 110, whereas diabetes, if say they're, they're just transitioning to diabetes, and you know here, 20% of the market um, are diabetic with a big portion of them unknowns. There's a similar amount with pre-diabetics. The even bigger pro- portion of those are unknown. You're talking about you know, a 70 milligram per deciliter you know, gap that's, that's been essentially completely removed from this equation. They are allowed to go that high. You know, so we do have these risks that no one's ever thought about. This is very true. Very true. It will be very interesting to see where this goes. And there's other companies that are up and coming, whether or not they'll use someone else's device or not. I'm not sure. I've been invited um, and a, a women's entrepreneur group that I'm in. They Some of the women there are working with investment banks and things, and they invite me sometimes to listen to some of the pitches of diabetic related technology and things that are up and coming. And there is a lot of attention on this part of diabetes and making it for sports and gamification. And sometimes the presentation will start off with a different why, but by the end of it, it's it's about just really commercializing it, which can can be very, very tricky. Yeah, um, and just to add to that, Pam, I've noticed two things with these companies. In the US, these companies usually would have a physician talk to you because CGMs are still under prescription in mm. the US. In the UAE or other regions, you just buy it online. Uh, there's mm. no prescription for the CGM. So you bypass that that safety net that initially comes with a physician consultation. Yeah, there's a lot more medical liability, I think, in the US as well. So yeah, if you're going to be smart about it, I think all companies and not just any doctor, like somebody like Dr. Yusuf, who is experienced and qualified to discuss diabetes, because so often, like even I I called you once um, to refer a patient because he was not seeing a proper endocrinologist. And I sent him a list of like two or three. Uh, different places that I knew where there was, you know, qualified quality people, because no matter what, at the end of the day, if you have diabetes, you must speak with a clinical team or at, at minimal an endocrinologist or someone that that understands it and knows knows what they're looking at, because it can be really dangerous if you get the wrong medical advice, CGM or not, it, it's it's not like such an easy thing like, oh, go try this diet and you'll be okay doesn't doesn't yeah. quite work that way which so many people i think are misled to believe that it's really easy nobody wants to have diabetes but still despite even the cgms the whole marketing of cure your diabetes or um you know turn your diabetes around or put your diabetes in remission and all these other things i think can be very very misleading when it comes to the way things are marketed not just cgms but certain diets and other products and vitamins and all the other things out there and just to give a feedback so if somebody is coming with a newly diagnosed diabetes yes so we are not looking only on the sugar levels right we are looking for to see if they have cholesterol if they have a liver issue have a fatty liver right if they have a kidney problem and some patients already have uh, already damage of their body through their diabetes and they mm. don't know it, yes? A retinal damage, right? So to see these things, to see then the patient holistically, it's important, right? So to, to really calculate their risk, yes, is really important. And that's not only to treat one only one parameter. That's, that's the wrong approach, right? You have to really see the patient holistically, Look for risk factors, which is also really, really important. That is so true. And now a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Diapoint Coaching and Training. We offer different coaching packages to meet your different needs, whether it's a quick start health coaching package or maybe a three-month coaching transformation that you're in need of. We can support you. We also offer some personalized health evaluations, diabetes doula consultations, and more. 
please visit the diapointshop.com and visit our coaching and wellness page to learn more. If you're still not sure, sign up for a free discovery call and we can talk more about what you're looking for, what your needs are, and about how coaching might support you. And it's free. Now back to the show. So I want to go back to something that you said earlier, Dr. Yusuf, about, you know, when in Isan as well, through your experience, when you're exercising, and I can't say it enough, when people they might be wearing a CGM and some people are are shocked when they first start using it, or maybe they bought one commercially and they don't have diabetes and they see they've exercised and then their blood sugar spikes. What types of exercise, because we don't want people to avoid exercise, but I think it's important for people to understand what types of exercise are causing their blood sugars to spike generally versus those that might drive it down. Exactly. Yes. So, um, Really intense exercise is doing really a spike in your sugar levels. Yes, where, uh, uh, where uh, so, for example, walking or slow uh, running is not doing any spikes. Again, these are general recommendations. I'm telling you, people are so individual and even different type of exercises working so different than any type of people. To just understand, normally, if you do exercise, your body needs energy. Yes, so what the body is doing is putting out sugar into your bloodstream to use energy, right? So, of course, your sugar levels are normally then going a little bit higher. So that's a normal approach of the body to do that, right? So to you, that you can do the type of exercise, yes? Again, um, and we know that certain exercises, as I mentioned, yes, really intense exercise can do really spikes, but again, General recommendations are, for example, that any healthy people should do cardiac training, like walking, running, swimming, yes, three times per week, but then also strength training and this intensive type of training, yes, which is also important for the body. So we we would never restrict a patient saying, oh, look, you're doing intense training and your sugar goes high. Stop it. No, that's not right. It's the same at the end, like the diet, right? You need everything really to be balanced and also, again, individualized for everyone. And so seeing this, again, CGM can help a lot and finding then the right type of exercise and the same, the right type of diet is really then important for the patients to know and to understand. Tom, I'd like to show you my CGM data. After oh, an yes, exercise. that would be amazing. So Let me, oh, you have it there. Okay. Yes, yeah, you can. But you, you see that first spike? there mm-hmm. that's an exercise yep. spike but i put the upper limit is 140 um i mean that's early in the morning but is there something wrong with that i mean i have several spikes happening later after eating obviously after the workout goes down but i mean that there's nothing wrong with that i have no diabetes my a1c is, is very well controlled i i have less than 10 percent body fat um you know that is a healthy spike and again, I, I'm very cautious about people who say like that was a relatively intense workout. I wouldn't say very intense, but it did hit, you know, probably 135, 136. Again, I would be punished under these apps that this is not good. And the meal that I had after that to try to, you know, um, get back some of uh, some of these uh, lost, you know, um, glucose levels is also another punishable offense, according to these guys. And it's another violating meal, according to these apps. So I'm, I'm, again, I go back to the realistic scenarios of what and who they're marketing to. Uh, if they're marketing this for performance, this is not a performance. If they've limit, if they've gone up to 140, I would say it would be a lot more reasonable. But then again, they might not sell enough because almost everyone's going to stay on this is my, I mean, I'll show you my curve for the last 24 hours. I mean, it's again, this is me being heavy carbs, heavy exercise. You know, it's mostly in that 170 to 140 range. Again, how long do I keep wearing this sensor? So you're, you're having this trade off between making it interesting for the patient via scores um, and giving them this unrealistic, you know, context that they're actually um, not behaving correctly because they keep spiking above 110. Mm. Thanks, and, Michelle. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, and if, if you would ask where they're taking these ranges, yes, if you go to their websites and look which studies they're citing, right, 
these are studies where mostly retrospective, yes, so they are not really randomized studies, yes, it's not really evidence-based, and they are really using studies where you see suggestions of really young populations, children, for example, of course they have lower blood glucose levels than an adult, right? So um, we have to be careful, yes, to, to really um, use also studies which are maybe not the right ones, right, to to use. So, um, and again, you see the, the big guidelines are still saying the same, what we are also proclaiming. And um, more important is really, and that's the key message, find individualized um, solutions for your patient, yes. And, and showing them the right patterns, showing them also their risks and analyzing them better is more important than to put them on a on a one setting for everyone and saying this fits for everyone. That's I think people, even before this uh, phenomenon came out, I think people were very misled that they should have this straight line always for blood sugar and impossible. No. Impossible. And sometimes even I think some somebody once showed, um, it was a training I went to years ago, a graph of a person with type one and a person with no diabetes and the person with no diabetes, their graph was all over the place compared to the type one, because their blood sugar comes down after that closely managed type one was such an expert in their own body. I, I think he, it was, it was either the diabetic educator herself or a pediatric endocrinologist that, that had type one who knows how to really manage all of these curves and everything. But that is not the norm by by any means, I think. And you've clearly showed that, Isan. What kind of exercise was it that you did? Um, just um, um, anaerobic exercise, just weights, um, okay. large body part, legs. So again, nothing, you know, I'm not training for the Olympics. I retired, you know, uh, 12 years ago. So uh, or more than that, actually, almost um, uh, yeah, almost there. So wow. I'm not doing any of that kind of stuff um, where it's extremely intense. So this is this is a normal profile for a normal person who's exercising. Um, you know, what I said before, that could have been an extreme, like, you know, where I needed a lot of carbs and then I would intensely exercise where my heart rate was hitting over 180 for a sustained amount of time, maybe six to eight minutes. You know, that is extreme. Um, but this is not extreme and this is what like my regular profile looks like and probably what most people who have some kind of a healthy lifestyle looks like. Mm. Now I'm curious to just try one just to see so I can, you know, as validation of our discussion, I I'm not that curious. I don't think that I would have insulin resistance, but now it has me curious more just to show our discussion that yeah you can have a very healthy lifestyle and your your blood sugar is going to do things would you ever say that maybe there's a time if someone is training for something like maybe they want to run a marathon or they want to do like ironman is now here um in dubai they come once a year usually with the tour and these kind of things if someone is training for something like this would this kind of device be helpful if we took out the 110 low upper limit? Yeah, yes, forget the absolutely. Yeah, please. I, I was just saying, like, it's absolutely uh, helpful. Cyclists have started using this. There's a company called Super Sapiens have done this. Um, yeah. It's, it's banned during cycling or during events. Now in certain events, I'm not sure about rowing, but in cycling, it's certainly banned during the event. But during training, absolutely. Um, it does help. It's insights. You know, they do consume a lot of carbs and they do burn it off very quickly. Um, so I, I definitely would say, yes, there is a need. But again, this is not your consumer down the road buying it on, uh, you know, on a website. This is a, a different level athlete who has massive spikes and massive caloric burn um, during a certain sustained period of time. It's not ongoing. It's not at night. It's, um, so again, it's, it's not a, it's, that's more of a, a problem of the few than you know an issue for the majority mm. and i'm telling you we have patients here we're doing ironman i had a really patients who really wanted to prepare and understand their body better yes and they were surprised because they saw that certain meals are before they're doing this type of exercises the wrong meal yes and they should have to take different type of carbs 
which stays longer in their body so they can use it better, right? For example, they took really a type of carbs which made a huge, huge spike mm. at the beginning, but it went also really quickly down, yes? So during the exercise, they did not have more energy, right? So therefore, really then adjusting these things can make also their performance better, right? And this is, uh, it's really helpful really also for the sport performance to understand what you should eat, yes, which will make really then the performance better. And even during the exercise, when you have to eat again, right? Especially as uh, Dr. Isar mentioned, the, the guys for cycling, right? The, they use it in the, um, uh, the cyclists. It was banned for the Tour de France because they say it's like like uh, doping because they then know really when they have to take the carbs again, yes, to push mm -hmm. an energy, right? But you will see it will come, yes, soon or later. Any sports professional will use it even during the time of exercise. I'd agree with that. And that ban in cycling, I only recently learned about that. And that validates what I always said about Team Novo. I'm like, this is must be like a secret out-of-pocket outcome that nobody else has. No one else is measuring their blood sugar. And I always see them like manually checking on the bikes, or I think I've seen one maybe with a Libre swiping, but I'm not sure what Team Novo does exactly. But I, I would tell parents, I'm like, this is like a superpower because these guys must be in tune with their diabetes in order to do these incredible physical things. And, and you, you, you know, you know, other people don't have that advantage. I'm not saying, you know, we wish everyone had diabetes. Nobody wants it, but for sure, it must help improve your performance if you know if you have that parameter, because not everybody has that. Yeah, but, but certainly not the 110 limit. Not the 110. It'll never work. It'll never work. Okay. The unlucky number of the month is 110. Yeah. <laughs> not 13, it's 110. All right. I think I'm going to pause us here for now, but I'm sure this won't be the last time that we'll see you here to discuss other topics around diabetes and health and wellness and I so much appreciate you taking your time to help explain this to us because I think it's something that's very important. I don't see it um, disappearing anytime soon. Some of the podcasts and other things that I enjoy, I hear them being sponsors for such CGMs. Some are against it, others not. And so it really got me wondering, you know, what what experts, what what do doctors say say about it because i think at the end of the day yes we all need to become experts in our own health but we need we need guidance we need to understand what 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 it is we're looking at otherwise it just doesn't make sense and we don't want to necessarily go out and buy expensive devices that we don't understand how to use so thank you so much again for your time i really appreciate it thank you very much thanks Pam. thank you so that was quite a very interesting, engaging, and enlightening discussion. I learned a lot about the use of CGMs in people that don't have diabetes. And um, Isan, because of his experience in trying them, he really gave us some insight into how they actually can work for people that do not have diabetes, but how they can also be quite dangerous in people that don't have diabetes. Setting a very low limit for our blood sugar, if you have diabetes or not, as we understood from this discussion, could be quite dangerous. So this is why we always say, please get proper medical advice. And we always say here at Diapoint, the only medical advice that we'll give you is get some. And I can't express that enough um, because like I said during the, the interview, my, my head is spinning now with even more possibilities of some challenging situations that could become quite the liability for a company that doesn't have um, medical or clinical staff supporting it, but also the dangers for the people using it if we don't understand how to use it and and maybe if it puts us in a vulnerable situation in regards to our health. So we just want to make sure, proceed with caution, talk to your doctor about it, um, see if it's right for you. If you understand your health really well and you don't have diabetes, it's still worth asking your doctor about it. Or if you try it and you get a week's worth of data from it, 
uh, without trying to focus too much on the gamification aspect, maybe that's something that you would take to your next checkup and doctor's appointment and discuss it with them. So again, I really thank the glue care team or some of the glue care team for, for joining us. And also, I, again, I want to point out that even though there were some brands mentioned, it was not a promotion for any one or particular CGM over the other. At Diapoint, we are agnostic when it comes to devices, and we truly believe that you should select the device that is best for you and your budget and your health if you have diabetes. Um, and also any other names that might be mentioned in the CGM discussion, it's not to call any companies out. Um but just to, you know, as a general discussion, highlighting which, which ones are here and available and relevant to our region. And I have reached out to some of those companies and I've invited them to uh, join a podcast episode because I'd love to learn more and hear their side of the story. Um, we certainly want to educate ourselves in the latest upcoming health technology because we're interested in health and wellness and we support people in their health and wellness. So it would be really great to hear from you if you're out there listening. Uh, and the other thing that I do want to mention and invite, as I mentioned in other podcasts, I think it'd be a wonderful idea for companies that are selling these as more commercially and not as clinically. Um, to, if you're selling them, then don't, not with the 110 upper limit, but if you're selling continuous glucose monitors, maybe to a population that does not have diabetes or that does not have hypoglycemia or some other reason that they would need to wear a CGM, then maybe you can do like the Tom's shoe model where someone buys one and then you donate a medical CGM to someone in need. I think that would be a wonderful way to support people with diabetes. Perhaps maybe you donate to a child in need that needs a CGM that has type 1, whatever that might be. But I think that would be a lovely way to give back to the community um, on this, this technology that you're using. I would love to see that happen. And I'm sure there's a lot of children and families and people living with diabetes that would appreciate that too. So thank you so much again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, Please rate us, review us, like us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us continue doing what we're doing. I absolutely love doing these interviews and doing the show. I'm so lucky and blessed that I get to do something that I love, not just managing or, or interviewing people for a podcast, but also everything that we do at Diapoint. Thank you so much.